Welcome to the Richard Roper Show. So good to talk to you guys again. It's been a while. We took a little break for uh, Thanksgiving and uh, to take care of some other responsibilities. But we are back and there's plenty to talk about. Entertainment news. A new uh, barrier has been broken for a holiday Christmas movie for the first time. Big news. Um, We also have uh, news about uh, The Golden Bachelor. Have you been watching The Golden Bachelor? I still say that sounds like some sort of uh, either a a restaurant in Boca Raton or something you have to pay extra for in Amsterdam. The Golden Bachelor, uh, some revelations about the Golden Bachelor's supposedly, allegedly, reportedly not so golden past news about a Barbie sequel and reviews. We haven't talked about some of the great stuff and some of the mm, not at all great stuff out there. All of that and more on the Richard Roper podcast. But first. Here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, all to help drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. That's AmericanEagle.com, AmericanEagle.com. You know, one of the fun things I've been uh, doing over the last couple of weeks is uh, resetting and um, uh, rebooting and all that shit. Uh, Every single app, website, password in the world. And no, I did not get hacked, but I got a new phone. And for some reason, usually when you get the new phone, you do all the syncing thing, and I'm I'm very good about actually keeping things updated, saving things, making sure my Google calendars on all devices are are matched up, using the iCloud, all that fun uh, tech stuff. And usually, when you do that, it, it's only a matter of a few steps, and then magically, you know what happens when you get the new phone? It says it says welcome or hello to you in like 150 languages. You pick your language. Let's get started. Here's your face. Let's look at your face because you have to act like you're in a big Mission Impossible movie. We need your face just for you to get into your phone. And then here's a two FA the two-factor authentication. So now you punch in these six numbers and then we got to go back to your face. And then now we're going to do all these logins, but it actually works, you know, kind of magically well. And it's really cool when you get the new phone to see all of the apps reappear and the little winding clock thing telling you, okay, you know, it's almost updated. And then uh, at first your email says you have no messages and there's the 13,000 messages you have and your photos load and your videos load and you got your phone, right? And I don't know what happened. I know this has happened to a lot of people with the latest. Uh, I guess I'll just say it's the iPhone. We're talking about the iPhone. What am I? What am I going to? What am I worried about? You know, I love the Apple products, but for some reason, with the very latest iPhone, it was very difficult to do all of that stuff. And there was a lot of manual updating. And then it, you know, because everything is synced on my laptop, my iPad, my desktop, all these devices that I use, mostly in the service of doing my job, but also because it's what year is it 2023 still uh you love to have these devices and everything was forgotten i mean even like my work emails and because i work in the media well like almost any job but there's sometimes even extra protections in there because you know they want to make sure people aren't hacking into the media so like i there's a a complicated and yet very effective process for example how i file my reviews my written reviews it's it's not as simple as just attaching a file and sending it to an editor 
there's a system and then there's a, a backup system and there's a way to make sure that it gets to places and then you can time exactly when it will be published online. And there's also the factor we still have a you know a print edition of the Chicago Sun-Times, thank the Lord. Uh, so there has to be a deadline for printing presses and stuff like that. It all works very well. All of that, all of that went away. I had to start from scratch. And, you know, fortunately, like at my home newspaper, the Chicago Sun-Times, the tech team there is absolutely marvelous because uh, they're really, really good and they really know how to get deep into the weeds. But they also know how to, in the words from the juror, the head juror and, and Denzel, Wal Denzel Washington in Philadelphia, they know how to explain it to me like I'm a five year old. Anyway, I, I, I just had to say, because I know a lot of you can relate to me and I know a lot of you are going to offer me advice and you should have done this and you should have done that. And I, I, I guarantee you, I went to listen. This show is sponsored by AmericanEagle.com. They know what they're doing there. And, you know, I got a lot of help from a lot of different people. Nothing was lost in the translation. It was just like to this day, if I log on to something that I haven't used, whether it's an app um, or, you know, as I've told you guys, I get all these different uh, screening platforms to see movies in advance. There's uh, there's a thing called Indie TV and there's obviously the, the streaming services themselves. And they all have different logins and passwords and in each case i had to redo it and i just want to get back to the work just want to get back to the work so i do really 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 sympathize with people who have lost things or who get bogged down in this all the time i'm very lucky actually i've got a very streamlined system a lot of people helping me and i learned going back to the days of atex and an early apple macintosh computers uh, i've written nine books and especially with books i learned early on to not only back up stuff, but back in the day, I would email chapters to myself and even print them out. Uh, I remember the famous scene in uh, Love Actually where Colin Firth, Jamie, I hate Uncle Jamie. I hate Uncle Jamie. Remember the whole setup there where he falls in love with Aurelia is she's he's got this fabulous cottage or whatever where he's writing his latest book and he's an old fashioned old school writer. So there's just he's just printing out the manuscript or typing out the manuscript as he goes along. And I'm like, then remember, they all blow the pages all blow into the water. And I'm like, Jamie, you're you're a complete idiot. You know, <laughs> he didn't he didn't have any copies. You know, They've been copying. They've been having copies of books of, of manuscripts with mimeograph and other you know, methods for decades. All right, guys. That's not what we're here for, although we kind of are here for. We're here to talk about all that stuff. Okay, here's the breaking news from Entertainment Weekly. Lifetime is including a sex scene in a Christmas movie for the first time. You heard me correctly. Lifetime, you know, Lifetime and Hallmark we've talked about. And, of course, now Netflix and a lot of other uh, services. There are something like 140-plus new Christmas movies coming out this year, as is the case every year. Here's the scoop. Lifetime is taking a new position, <laughs> clever writing, and including a sex scene in the forthcoming film, A Cowboy Christmas Romance. All right. It marks the first ever sex scene in their annual holiday movie series, which called it's called It's a Wonderful Lifetime. The movie premiering on the network on December 9th follows real estate agent Lexi Crenshaw, who returns home to Arizona to reclaim land belonging to rancher Kobe Mason. But the land isn't the only thing Lexi wants to claim after meeting Kobe and feeling a spark of attraction. So they're going to have, I guess, I guess uh, Jane, Jana Kramer, who plays Lexi, and Adam Sen, who plays Kobe, are going to have a, a hot and steamy love scene. Uh, a spokesperson for Lifetime said, uh, we love trying new things, as apparently do Kobe and Lexi. 
and we're going to add some smolder to the usual holiday sugar and spice. We love trying new things, as she said, and this is what they're going to do. Uh, I, I, you know, as you guys know, I'm kind of a, I don't want to say it's any kind of a hate watch, but I kind of get a kick out of those, all those Hallmark and Lifetime movies where the, you know, it's got pretty much the same plot every time, but it's, it's comfort viewing. I completely get why people are into it. Although I recently did see on Twitter, I want to see a sequel where the woman wakes up in the small town six months later, looks at her ex-boyfriend who she hooked up with again, realizes why she got away from him in the first place, figures out that you can only sell so many uh, specialist cupcakes in a town of 837 people and says to herself, fuck, I used to run a PR firm in Manhattan. I have to get my life back now. Surprised there aren't, and maybe there are, um, but I'm surprised there aren't uh, hardcore versions of these lifetime and hallmark movies are there maybe there are on some of the on the porn sites because it would seem like an easy target so to speak in any case we wish the best to real estate agent lexi crenshaw and rancher kobe mason in the lifetime movie a cowboy christmas romance okay other news margot robbie says there's no need for a barbie sequel Marco Robbie uh, uh, told the Associated Press recently, I think we put everything we had into this one. We didn't need to build it to a trilogy or anything like that. Greta Gerwig put everything into the movie, so I can't imagine what would be next. Of course, Barbie grossed over $1.4 billion at the box office globally, became this huge cultural juggernaut. Cultural juggernaut. Good name for a horse. Or maybe a lifetime Christmas movie, the cultural juggernaut. Um, I agree with this. You know, you don't have to have a sequel to everything. We're not getting Oppenheimer too, folks. Although there's a lot to be told about many of the main characters in that movie could make for a great limited series. I know there's been some talk though about extending the Barbie universe. I mean, it is sort of made not necessarily for sequels, but for prequels or for spinoffs because we had so many different, remember we had so many different Barbies and Ken's and you could take other characters from that universe, maybe do a limited series. I, you know, Greta Gerwig is such a, a talented and brilliant filmmaker. I'm not so sure. Again, like they said, they put so much into that Barbie. I mean, it was really so beautifully done, seemingly simple, but actually intricately constructed, incredible production design, sly social commentary without hitting us over the head with it. And just really flat out effing funny. And when it's, it's such a monster hit, what, how Barbie, how Barbie two could ever top that, doesn't seem possible. So I hope they leave the original alone. I also believe that Greta Gerwig, also Margot Robbie, also Ryan Gosling, all, you know, A-list talents. Not that A-list talents don't do sequels, but a lot of times they shy away from that because they have so many other original projects at their beck and call that they can do. So that's actually good news if there's no sequel. Uh, I also wanted to get into this. Um, I kind of feel about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette the same way I feel about those Hallmark and Lifetime movies. I don't really watch a ton of it. I get that it's cheesy cornball stuff. I'm talking about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and I, I know they do Bachelor in Paradise or I don't know, whatever else they do with it. Uh, but I completely get why this franchise has been hugely popular for years now because it's it's complete fantasy. It's You get to kind of watch, not kind of watch, you get to watch these uh, in most cases, incredibly attractive people who are not necessarily all going to set the world on fire with their intellect and their depth of knowledge. Although a lot of times, you know, they're, they're bright enough and they're interesting. In a lot of cases, they're nuts because as we have noticed through the years, now through the decades, if you're on reality TV, whether you're one of those unreal housewives 
or you're a survivor going to be a survivor in season 157 of survivor or big brother or any of the other ones to just want to be on one of those shows you have to be an attention whore and i say this as someone who's made a career out of being an attention whore i mean you just do you want to go on national tv and and we know that you know, in a lot of these cases, like MTV's The Real World, I thought season one was very, very real because nobody had seen it before. Uh, the kids, the young people who were featured really didn't have anything to play off of. In the first season of Survivor, I mean, the fact that I can remember that Richard Hatch was the guy that first kind of came up with the alliance. You know, there's something at least relatively pure about the early episodes or seasons of certain reality and competition shows then people watch the shows and they get to see what gets screen time also what works how to you know forge alliances that double crossing people the big brother house or whatever the case may be that all is fair and love in in game show so you know it becomes less pure as we go along and we know by now listen some of these couples from the bachelor and the bachelorette have ended up together and you could argue now that meeting someone on tv is no more artificial than meeting someone by swiping left, swiping right, swiping up, swiping down, going on one of the dating apps. And before that, you know, you met people at a bar or whatever. And, you know, yeah, you met them through normal life as well. So however you meet people, it's 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 compressed, obviously, in on The Bachelor shows because it's like within a couple of weeks, people that haven't met each other and have been on like three televised fantasy dates are weeping and saying, I, I when I started on this journey, I... I didn't realize I was actually going to fall in love. And they say that every time. And, you know, in a lot of cases, yeah, there's four or five dates. Uh, the bachelor and or the bachelorette sleeps with three different people and tells them all or her. They all, you know, I love all of you. And then there's some big heartbreaking decision where he has to, where one of them has to go out on that little promenade, some paradise place and be told, yeah, I'm going to go and go in a different way. And they get in the limo and their heart's broken. And it's horrible. And then there's a reunion show and there's all that stuff. But, you know, yeah, a lot of times it doesn't work out. Now, they, they, in a stroke of genius, I think ABC came up with the Golden Bachelor, whoever in their program department or producers on the Bachelor team who came up with this. It was a brilliant move because, first of all, as we know, the demographics watching television are often a little bit older. And certainly as time has gone on, we've seen a lot more in just in our society and culture, not that people didn't always have second and third marriages, but people live a lot longer now. So a lot of times, you know, you're married for 30 or 40 years and your spouse passes away and you're 68 or you're 72 and you're thinking, I might have another 20 years. So there's, you know, we hear all these stories about even at, uh, what, what do they call them now? We don't call them the old folks homes. You know what I mean? They, uh, you know, whatever, whatever facilities, retirement facilities or retirement villages. And they're talking about how they have to make sure they have seminars about safe sex because everybody's all horny, et cetera, et cetera. So they come up with the idea of the golden bachelor and it's Gary Turner. I'm told, even though it's, it's spelled in the Jerry, they call him Gary. He's uh, the 72 year old star of the golden bachelor, a uh, handsome dashing guy. And this is, um, this is from the Hollywood reporter. So they, as, of course, this always happens when something, because by the way, this has become a huge hit. It's become a, a major hit, even in the Bachelor universe. So even though there's tons of background checks on everybody who's on these shows, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a massaged reality that we see. So, you know, the truth is, yes, he was married for 43 years. His wife died of an infection just one month after they were going to move to their dream retirement house on Big Long Lake in Hudson, Indiana, population 537 that sounds that sounds very nice sounds like a very nice lovely retirement 
and the way the show is uh, kind of put it out there we're told that uh gary is a retired uh restaurateur that he that he ran a restaurant but the reality is as the hollywood reporter tells us the, re- the idea that he retired at the young age of 55 which had been in 2006 isn't really accurate he had other jobs first of all he he worked at a restaurant i don't think he necessarily owned the restaurant but more to the point uh in in the years the subsequent years he installed hot tubs at gannon pools near davenport iowa he then worked as a maintenance man at the vera french mental health center jobs like that which by the way i think it actually makes him more intriguing because i think they paint him as this very handsome dashing wealthy uh bachelor and truth is he worked a lot of you know uh, working class jobs, you know, after he left the restaurant business and the other, the other kind of, um, I guess it's mostly sins of omission. They've made it seem as if, and Gary has made it seem as if after his wife died, this is his first, uh, foray into any kind of dating. He said he's only had like one kiss in a year since then. And they found, um, they found the woman that he dated for nearly three years after his wife died. And again, after his wife died, he wasn't having an affair and whatever the case may be, it's Gary's life. I don't know why they could have just included that. You know, I guess it's not as dramatic. And I don't know if it was Gary's decision not to talk, talk about this, or maybe he wanted to protect the privacy, but they did find Hollywood reporter found the woman he had dated for nearly three years. And she doesn't have the greatest story to tell about the relationship and breakup. And, you know, so it goes. There's always more to the story than what you're going to see on any of these reality shows. I think most of us know this by now, that life is a lot more complicated than something that's uh, elegantly edited and packaged into either a half hour or hour long show. So it turns out, Gary, he is a widower. He does mourn his wife, but he did have another relationship before he jumped into this dating pool. I've, I've watched only a few minutes of this. I saw one of those. You know, the rose ceremonies where they pick out, which are always just so cruel. But again, everybody's agreed to be on the show. And I was like, I he was picking different women than I would have picked. That's all I'm going to say. I think he's down now to the final choice. We're, uh, as we're recording this, we're only a few days away from Gary making his golden choice in the Golden Bachelor. But I'll tell you this, no matter how this all plays out, we are going to see more golden, silver, diamond, whatever versions of The Bachelor and Bachelorette, because as I mentioned, it's like one of the highest rated bachelor programs in the last four or five years. So good luck to uh, Gary, the golden bachelor and whoever he ends up with. All right, let's take a break. Talk about Portillo's. And then we're going to talk about a couple of new uh, releases, including uh, the final season of the crown. The first half of the final season is now available. Eddie Murphy's got a new movie, all of that and more right after the break. All right, kids, let's talk about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. My delivery history will bear this out. I also happen to live within walking distance of one of the Chicago Portillo's. Yes, that's right. I'm that lucky. It is amazing. You could order from the restaurant or the drive-thru, but if it's not near you, you can go to Portillo's.com. Portillo's.com and order. They got French fries. They got all kinds of comfort food, the amazing hot dogs, the Italian beef, the Italian sausage, some really good salads, by the way, if you want to take it a little bit easy because you want to have a little bit room left for the chocolate cake, the best chocolate cake in the world. Think about it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. That's how you spell it. Portillo's.com. 
Look. Got a lot of spikes. Wow. Merry Christmas. Oh, hey. What's Christmas without a little terror? Check that list twice. What was your Christmas wish? I just want it to be the best Christmas ever. Oh, ignore all the fine print. Honestly, it's like you're signing your life away. This is crazy. Hold up, that was your wish? Not like, I don't know. World peace. In hunger. And homelessness. Stop climate change. Save the polar bears. New Drake album. Oh, I love Drake. Point taken. Oh my God. Ooh, look at you, high stuff. Looking like a tall drink of water. I'm enchanted. Okay, that's a clip from Candy Cane Lane. Eddie Murphy has long been into that part of his career where he's mostly doing the family comedies. Uh, they have not mostly been great. This one, I'm going to try to walk you through this because it's really bat bleep crazy. The whole setup for Candy King Lane, guys. Okay, so Eddie Murphy and Tracy Ellis Ross, and that's a that's a great cast as a couple right there. You know that that's a TV series right there, or you know, or a movie. So they're a California couple. They've got three children. Two are in high school. One younger child. And Eddie Murphy's character of Chris is really, really, really into Christmas. And every year there's a big candy cane lane decoration contest. And this year, if you win the decoration contest, you win $100,000. How about that? And, you know, they have these. Again, we talked about they, they are now local and national television shows where there are competitions for, you know, the best Halloween or Halloween holiday. I'm sure they do it for Halloween as well. But the best Christmas decorations, you've seen this, right? And a lot of times they're unbelievably elaborate. And you always think to yourself, God, I'm glad I don't live across the street from those people because it's like living across the street from the freaking Bellagio. The lighting is incredible. Okay, so that's the setup. This idyllic block in California. I think it's actually based on a real block where everybody goes over the top. So. Eddie's character of Chris Carver loses his job. Now he really, really, really wants to win the contest. So he's driving all over the town and he comes across a pop-up store called Kringles. In this pop-up store, there is a, a, an elf who tells him uh, she can set him up with the greatest Christmas tree of all time. Just sign right here. So he signs this deal. Turns out, so and he does. He gets this incredible 12 days of Christmas inspired uh, tree. It's like 50 feet tall. It works in a magical fashion. It wows everybody. But what Chris doesn't realize is when he signed that receipt, he's also signed into a contract that says if he doesn't take possession of five gold rings, as in the song, before the clock strikes eight, I think on Christmas Eve, he will be turned into a miniature ceramic figurine. I kid you not. Turns out the elf is a scorned elf who was kicked out of the North Pole by Santa. And now she does this thing where she tricks human beings into signing these contracts and then turns them into little miniature figurines and then traps them in Christmas Village. I don't know why that is the actual setup for this film, folks. So the 12 days of Christmas come to life in an effort to thwart Eddie Murphy's Chris Carver. So you get a milkmaid shooting milk. You get 10 lords a leaping who are like ninja fighters. You get geese laying eggs. They don't even do it in the order of the 12 days of Christmas. It makes no sense. Uh, one of the weirdest thing about things about this movie is that when these magical things happen, that people in the town just sort of take it at face value and it doesn't really become like a media story or anything. It's really weird. Uh, it's profoundly unfunny. 
And you have this very likable cast, including a ton of supporting players uh, who you've seen in a million TV shows and movies, all flailing about uh, in the service of a script that cannot be salvaged. It's also just really, really strange. Candy Cane Lane, definitely avoid it. Another Christmas-themed movie. This is very different. It's called Silent Night. Now, in 2012, we had a slasher film called Silent Night. And in 2020, we had a crime movie called Silent Night. And then we had the 2021 black comedy Silent Night. This is a different Silent Night, folks. This is John Woo's Silent Night. That's right, John Woo, the legend who has influenced generations of directors with films such as The Killer and Bullet in the Head and Face Off. John Woo is back with his first American film since uh, Paycheck in 2003. Remember Paycheck? That was the movie where Ben Affleck agreed to have something implanted in his head and then he'd be unconscious for a study for three years, but then he'd wake up and he'd be worth 90 million, except for he gets double crossed. Anyway, uh, that was John Woo's latest film. Obviously, John Woo's uh, his action moves. He always has the slow motion dubs at some point in his movie and all these sweeping and swooping camera moves, sometimes really way over the top stuff like like face off, for example. Uh, but his style has definitely influenced, uh, you know, the John Wick movies and many, many other action franchises. So he's back. This one's got kind of an interesting gimmick. So Joel Kinnaman, who's a terrific actor, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He plays a guy named uh, Brian Godluck. There's a good Christmas name. Uh, he's a dad. He's got a young son. He's got a loving and supporting wife. And on Christmas Eve, he's out on the front lawn of his house in Los Angeles, maybe just around the corner for all we know from candy cane lane. In fact, they had mixed these two movies. They both might've actually been better. So this one's actually very serious and it's, it's, it's a revenge story because what happens is uh, two cars uh, with gang members come careening around the corner and his young son, uh, Brian's young son is killed uh, by a stray bullet. He then, uh, runs after the gang members the dad you know because he's in a panic and he's desperate and he's filled with rage and somehow manages to kind of catch up with them uh but then finds himself uh shot in the neck by the leader of the gang uh he shot in the neck at point blank rage this leaves uh brian's vocal cords obliterated he's unable to speak for the rest of the movie nobody else in this movie speaks either this is a dialogue free film other than um we see people communicating you hear a few voices like on public address announcements or like in a hospital or on the radio but the actual characters don't speak now he's with the main character you know it's because he can't speak in the other in the case of the other characters we just see them down the hall or their voices are muffled it's actually kind of an effective technique for a movie that's all action anyway when you think about it and think about how many action films and superhero films stop every 25 minutes or so so all the characters can talk to each other about what's happening what's been happening and what needs to happen there's even of course the famous cliche of the talking villain going all the way back to the james bond movies who goes on and on and on and explains exactly how they pulled off their master plan and now they leave the the hero to die instead of just shooting them you know and that that sometimes work really works really well and then in other cases if the dialogue is substandard we're like we know we know so in this case it's a revenge movie, as I mentioned. This is all about uh, Brian. He gets out of the hospital. You know, his wife tries to be supportive and, you know, keeps reminding him that she's grieving too, but he crawls into a bottle. He's feeling sorry for himself and she leaves. And then he decides he's finally going to pay a visit to the police station and talk to the investigator who's in charge of the, the whole case. And then he spots the guy who shot him in a mugshot on the wall and comes up with another plan. He'll kill them all. He writes that on his calendar, actually. Kill them all on December 24th, the one-year anniversary 
of his son's tragic death. So now he's got like, I don't know, six to eight months to become a lean, mean killing machine, because this is not like, you know, in uh, in the Taken movies, you know, Liam Neeson's Brian Mills is, is an ex-operative or in The Equalizer, Denzel's character. You know, those guys were sort of out of the game, but they had a career of killing people this is more like the original death wish with charles bronson i believe the charles bronson character was an architect who's you know whose family was brutally attacked so half of this movie is a training sequence as we see brian he watches youtube videos and learns how to stab and stab and stab and stab he buys guns he goes to the shooting range he tricks up his mustang he gets himself in incredible shape and then he goes for revenge and he goes after the, the lead gangster and all of his henchmen and stuntmen. And because John Woo was directing this man, cars are flying in the air and heads are flying off. And there's some great hand-to-hand combat stuff. It's all very, very well done. By the end of the movie, you're thinking, yeah, we really, we didn't need any dialogue. It should be a silent night. So if you're into the John Woo uh, film thing and you're in the mood for not having to pay attention to dialogue, check out Silent Night. I also want to mention... Uh, this is, this is amazing when you see, and this is, this happens, doesn't happen frequently, but occasionally it happens where a series that starts off great and then kind of, you know, hits a lull, but then kind of redeems itself and then becomes great again. Or sometimes you're just like, oh my God. Well, in the case of the crown, like many, many, many zillions across the globe, I love the crown. I thought, you know, the early seasons, I mean, it's spanning what? 100 years right and i love especially you know the early stuff when we see all the things going on with the crown and the various characters and as we've talked about in the past it's one of the things one of those shows that's essentially true but of course takes great liberties with the dialogue and all that stuff but but addictive in 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 over the years and they've had a turnover i think they've had three separate complete casts through the years and now uh, for the season six we're up and we 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 had gotten to this a little bit at the end of season five, but season six is being broken into two parts, uh, four episodes that are available now. And I think the final six come out in just a, like in a month. And then that's going to be it for the crown because then we'll have caught up unless they're going to have, you know, the crown, uh, Megan and Harry, you know, they already have that on Netflix and everywhere else. Uh, so in the first four episodes of the crown, I have to say are shockingly bad television given the credentials of the people involved with this show and, and what a great job they've done through the years and the, the quality of the cast. I mean, the cast, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, I think is absolutely brilliant as Princess Diana. Uh, Dominic West is miscast as Prince Charles, but you've got Imelda Staunton as the queen. I mean, you got the, all these great actors, but if you haven't seen it, I don't know, maybe you want to watch it because it's incredible. They concentrate on the final days of Princess Diana. And of course we all know what's going to happen. But the way they imagine things happening with Diana and uh, Dodie and then the Royals back home, the dialogue is incredibly corny. And it's all about foreshadowing. Every phone call she makes to her sons, Diana makes to her young sons, every conversation she has about turning a new leaf and finally kind of stopping to smell the roses. And they make it very clear that she was not going to marry uh, Dodie. In fact, that they, in, according to the show, and you know, I know there are 8 million books out there. They had actually agreed that this was not going to be a, a, a lasting relationship. That's not what she wanted, Diana wanted. And then, of course, there was the horrific accident. But here's where it gets incredibly cringe-inducing, guys. After the death of Diana, 
and they they depict it in a in a tasteful manner. We don't see some crazy crash. We don't need to. We see it from kind of an interesting point of view of a man who's walking his dog and hears a crash, you know, in the tunnel. Uh, but after the death, Diana's not done on this show. First, she shows up across the uh, across the table from uh, Prince Charles and talks to him and reassures him and talks about how much she loved him. And then she sits down with the queen and kind of gives the queen some life lessons. And you're like, we're not sure what's happening here. Are they in Are each of them just having an imagined conversation with Diana or is she an actual ghost? Either way, it's handled. I mean, so poorly. And it's, it's such a jarring thing that. It's really making me, I mean, I got to watch the final six episodes. We've come this far, but oh my God, it's so bad. It's as if somebody came in and said, all right, we've done really quality prestige television. Yeah, it's been, you know, melodramatic and gossipy, but now we're really just going to do something really stupid. And everybody went along with it. Terrible stuff. The crown season six, they have six more episodes to redeem themselves. Here's hoping. All right. That's going to do it for the Richard Roper podcast. Thanks so much to everybody who's been listening. And we will talk again quite soon.